So Leviticus 23, we're coming toward the end. And tonight I have called it Party Like a Priest. Life changes. We go through seasons. We go through times when something is different than it was. And it's not always good, or it's not always easy at least. Life changes. One way I experienced that was when I came into my job like normal, said hi to everybody like normal, sat down where I sit at the morning hours like normal, and began to do the first part of my job that day like normal. But what was not normal was when the boss came in to our department and said, Brandon, can I see you in my office, please? Well, um, I knew I didn't do anything wrong, but I couldn't help but wonder, did I do anything wrong? You know, you're racking your brains for why is the boss wanting to see me. The last time I talked to him in his office alone was when I was interviewed for the job. So, and I knew I was not getting a promotion. I was part-time. I was doing a youth pastor ministry on the side, so I knew I was not getting a promotion. Uh, I sit down. There's a lady in the office I've not seen before. It's not a good sign. And I'm introduced to her as the human resources representative. Okay, so um, what happened next is hard to say because the room kind of spun. And he tells me very compassionately, very kindly, um, that we're going to have to let you go. We're downsizing in several departments. And so I was laid off right when everybody else was laid off in the whole, what they call it, the regression, the repression, recession. recession. I knew something like the depression, but not it. Um, And so, um, you know, and I was just like, okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, Have a good day. Uh, I, they're like, we're very sorry. I'm like, ah, I'm sorry. You have to do this. This is really hard. And I, so I was like all chipper and like, here, here's the thing. I'm, I'm one of two Christians in an office full of heathens, like literally heathens. <laughs> like, um, they all celebrate Lent, but after that they live like whatever. And I was, when I was first brought to the office, uh, I was shown an empty desk and said, well, that's where so-and-so works, um, but she'll be back in two months after she does her time. Like, okay, that's this kind of place. And um, so, I, I don't know, I was laid off and I was kind of like, oh, Christian mode. <laughs> and then I'm driving home, I'm going, what am I going to do? Wait, this is weird. It's a Friday. I should not be driving home at this time. Yet I was. Um, and so I sat down at the beach, um, Seal Beach, just kind of processing what's going on. Like, okay. Well, this is different because I had a really good setup. It worked with ministry hours. I had half the day to do this job and half the day to work ministry and um, kind of praying about it and like wasn't sure like did I do something wrong? Anyways, change is coming. I'm preparing for it. Um, And it's hard. It's hard to have that unsettling moment, right? When things shift. You're like, I have control over this and this is going really well. Why does it have to shift now? Well, it turns out that change isn't always bad. It just means it's time to transition. It just means it's time to go to something else. It's time to maybe grow, or maybe it's time to minister in another place or meet new friends. So to make the story short, 
I, it was at that time that Pastor Mike called me and asked if I wanted to come up here and lead a youth ministry. He had heard that I had been laid off and was looking for more full-time work. Um, and so I told him I'll pray about it. Six months later, I said yes and came up here. Um, and so that's how I go from doing a youth group in Orange County and working um, with that other job to coming up here and going, you know, in all the different roles that have happened up here. That's change. Now, I look back and say, well, that was good change. But in the moment, I don't think I felt like it was good change. My pages of journal entry right then on that day did not necessarily express, well, hallelujah, this is the promotion I was looking for. It was more like, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm not sure I'm okay with it. Life changes. We change jobs, or you don't change jobs, but you change who your boss is. Or your boss changes moods. Or your kids change from being well-behaved, obedient little kids to what did you do with my daughter and where is she? Uh, to um, you change houses. To grocery prices change. Gasoline prices change. Uh, our administrative offices in D.C. change. Change happens everywhere. Um, Netflix changes the movie lineup and you never got to that one you wanted to see. Um, Trends change, fashion changes, technology changes. Sometimes you can keep up, and sometimes you realize this is a good thing, sometimes you can't, and sometimes you wonder, why does this have to change? But the bottom line is, life changes, and you can't do anything about that. And it can actually be dangerous to try to live a life in which you prevent any changes from happening. In short, life works in seasons. We go from spring to summer to autumn to winter, and we go through these cycles. And sometimes you don't like the season, but the change brings you to another season. It might be a better season. It might be worse. But what we need to know is that life changes. So if you're in a good season, it might change to something harder, but it's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. If you're in a hard season, you need to know, this is the good news, life changes, and it will get better. It will get better. Well, in our passage tonight, we're going to see um, seasons. And we're going to see change. And we're going to see the God who talks about them and the God who leads his people through them. So we're in Leviticus 23. As we're coming to the end of this book, we've seen the opening of Leviticus was, this is how you approach me, all these offerings. Then in chapters 8 through 10, we saw the priests do those offerings and how the fire of God came and the people fell down and worship. But two of Aaron, the high priest, two of Aaron's sons did not approach him the right way. They went behind the veil, the holy of holies, where no man is to go, and they did it improperly and they died. Chapters 11 through 15, God says, all right, time out. Let's talk about cleanliness. And we saw God talked a lot about the human body. Chapter 16, finally we get to that holy of holies, the place where God himself lives. And we see how you enter through the blood of animals and by the scapegoat and the sins are forgiven. And then chapter 17 to 22 last week, since I know none of you were here, I talked to empty chairs. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Um, you can listen, though, to that if you want to make it up. <laughs> make it up. I, sorry, I got to switch from school teacher to pastor here, don't I? Uh, 
what was he saying? <laughs> 17 to 22, we looked at boundaries. And now God's, Leviticus is full of laws, but one of the reasons those laws are there is because we need boundaries. We need times to breathe in and times to breathe out. Times when we're serving and times where we're resting and being filled up by God. And we sometimes need to draw those lines and know where we're doing what. Uh, and then here we are in Leviticus 23, and we're coming to the close of the book. He's going to give us more worship ceremonies, this time in the form of eating and festivals and dancing. So Leviticus 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of Yahweh that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. So before we get to the feasts, in which there are seven, he introduces us, well, really reminds us about the Sabbath, the one that they have once a week. You need a rest. So put that in your framework. Now he talks about the seven feasts that go throughout the year. The first one, you can go ahead and by verse 4, put a number 1. If you like marking things and making sense of things, you can put a number 1. It's the Passover. This is the first feast. It occurred in Israel's first month of the year, which they get from Exodus 12 when God led them out of Egypt. He said, this shall be the first month for you. So Passover occurs in their first month, which is our springtime around March uh, uh, April, where Easter falls. So um, this is the 14th day of their first month they celebrate Passover. It says this, These are the appointed feasts of Yahweh, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day, now, there's a footnote you don't see, but it's there. It says, see Exodus 12 for more detail on the Passover. Notice how quickly he just went right over it. Passover's on this day, moving on. So that, the Passover was the day in which they would take a lamb on the 10th of the month. They would take a lamb and they would let it live in the house. And then on the 14th day of the month, they would kill the lamb and they applied the blood to the doorposts. And the angel of death passed over the homes with the blood because something's already died there. And the Israelites were let free from Egypt. This was their freedom day. Their, this is their day of independence, what it would be for us as Americans. Um, What's cool is that what we see in these seven feasts is that God moves through this timeline, if you will. Yes, Israel has these things they celebrate every year, but in each of these feasts, we see a stage of what God's plan is for the earth. And in Passover, the first one, we are introduced to Jesus, who we are told in the Bible, John the Baptist proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's our Passover lamb who was killed for us so that we could be set free from our bondages. Now, the 10th day, the lamb was chosen. And then on the 14th day, the day of actual Passover, it was killed. What's really neat is that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And the next day, the 10th of the month, 
He is now in Jerusalem and he's being tested by the religious leaders, being asked a series of questions and he's doing teachings and he's cleansing a temple and all these things are going on for how many days? 10th, the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, and guess what happens on Friday? The 14th, he's killed as our Passover lamb on the feast of Passover. And so we have this early sign of Jesus to come. Now, if you want to hold your place in Leviticus and flip forward to 1 Corinthians, that's in the New Testament, not the Chronicles one, but Corinthians in the New Testament, you'll find this in 1 Corinthians 5. And also hold your place here because we'll come back to it in a minute. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Paul is talking to this church in the city called Corinth, and he's explaining to them, hey, you guys got to get rid of some things that are going on because, well, because of this. 5, verse 7. Cleanse out the leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. What in the world is he talking about? For Christ... Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, we got the lamb, the the Christ is our Passover lamb part, but what's he talking about all this unleavened bread and remove the the leaven? Celebrate Passover by not being evil and angry with one another, but instead by following the way of Christ. What what does this mean? Well, hold your place here and go back to Leviticus. You see in the very next verse that we left off, verse 6. You can write a number 2 here, by the way. This is the second feast. And on the 15th day, the very next day of the same month, is the feast of unleavened bread To the Lord, Yahweh. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, so rest. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord, Yahweh, for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work. Okay, so the Passover, the lamb is killed. They celebrate their freedom. They eat it. But then there's a seven-day period, the second feast, seven days of just unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread is like this. It's bread without the, um, uh, the fermentation process of making it rise. And so that's flat leavened bread. Now, Israel had to do that because they were leaving Egypt so quickly that they didn't have time to let the yeast settle. So they just baked flat bread and went. But it's become a picture, Paul says, of unleavened bread is bread without sin. Sin can spread and bloat us and inflate everything around us. It can can get into a whole body. And Paul's saying, but if we're going to follow Christ, our Passover lamb, and celebrate that festival as Christians, what we want to do is not worry so much about the ritual of physical bread, but get rid of the sin in our midst. That's how we are unleavened. So um, we now come to the third festival. You still have your place in 1 Corinthians? Don't go there yet. Just in a minute. Just don't want you to have to find it again. Verse 9. You can write number 3. This is the third festival. It, by the way, coincides. I know it can get confusing. It coincides with the first and the second. Um, This is, I'll explain to you what this one is. 
So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. Pause. So what he's saying is the harvest comes in in the springtime and you gather the first part of the harvest. Before you take any of the rest and you get to eat it and get to make food with it, you take the very first portion of that harvest and you go straight on into the temple and you give it there to the priest who gives it to the Lord. It's your thanksgiving portion. It's your, hey, here's the first part we know a lot more is going to come, so we're saying thank you with this first portion. God gets the first portion. Now, you can flip over to 1 Corinthians again and go to chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 20. Listen for that word, first fruits. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What's he saying? So think of a harvest like the Israelites knew about. You've got a huge field of barley coming in. They took the very first part of it and gave it to God said, thank you for the rest that we're going to collect. When Jesus rises from the dead, he is the first fruits. He is the first one to rise of many more who will follow. So his resurrection on Easter Sunday is a preview. It's the first portion of many more who will rise from the dead as well. We are the rest of those crops, the last fruits who will be, ris- who will be raised Um, at the end of time like Jesus was. So Paul continues, For as by one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, this is the future, his second coming, his return. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ will also rise like him. Pretty cool, huh? Go back to Leviticus. Hold hold in 1 Corinthians. We'll be there one more time. So hold and go back to Leviticus. Okay. Number four, verse 15. So that's the fourth feast. By the way, Um, If you also like to put notes down or in your Bible, you can put a star next to this one, and you can also put it next to the Passover. Why? Because these are festivals in which Israel had to, or got to, probably should say, got to travel from wherever they lived to Jerusalem. They were the festivals where you didn't just celebrate in your home, but you celebrated as a nation right there at the temple itself. So Passover is one of them. The Feast of Weeks our fourth festival in verse 15. That's the second one. I'll tell you the third when it comes. So 15. Um, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. What? Okay. So the third festival, the first fruits, that happened the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover. So it was like right in there with the Passover. What he's saying is, from that moment, count seven weeks, 49 days, um, 
from that day, which would make 50, because if you count the Sabbath, it's the 50. So you count 50 days from there, and now you celebrate the fourth feast. 50 days. Now, 50 in the Greek uh, became known as Pentecost. Penta being 50. So uh, the Feast of Weeks became known as Pentecost. So here's what we know about Pentecost. Verse 16. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. You then shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. A lot of these festivals had to do with their crops, right? So you're thanking God for crops. So here's another crop coming in. You bring more to God and say thank you. 17. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, to be made of two-tenths of an ephah. And it gives you some description about how they offered it. There's also some lambs, a lot of offerings. Because it's a pilgrimage festival, you made a big journey, it was a big deal. So there's a lot that went on during this um, festival. Verse 22, it summarizes with this closing thought. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. The gleanings are the things you drop as you're carrying wheat and stuff and things are falling down. You're making these big piles and you carry them off. Don't go back and comb every little piece that you dropped. Don't go to the very edge of your boundary and grab every last part. He's basically saying when you harvest, don't be a perfectionist. Let be what is because the poor need food. So don't reap right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am Yahweh your king, or the Lord your God. Wow. So, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. We know that one. In Acts chapter 2, it tells us on the day of Pentecost, the Jews were all gathered in Jerusalem from every corner of the world. It tells, Luke gives us a list of where they came from. They're all there in Jerusalem. And Jesus' followers were told to wait there until the Holy Spirit came upon them. Jesus had gone up to heaven. He's already been raised from the dead, as we've seen, right? Passover, he's been killed. Uh, the, the festival first weeks, he's been raised from the dead. Now Pentecost, he's gone up to heaven. And guess what comes down as he goes up? The Holy Spirit comes upon those followers. Why? Because they were the first, in another sense, another first fruits of more believers to come who will be filled with the Holy Spirit. They are the first part of the harvest, and they're filled with the Spirit. And then they, on that day, go and proclaim to all these Jews who are from everywhere in the world in Jerusalem, and they speak to them in their tongue. And the church begins there. Now, other thing that's cool is how many people got saved on that day? Do you remember? They preach and 3,000 come to Jesus because of Peter's sermon. Well, the day of Pentecost also became the day, this was developed in the Jewish tradition a bit later, so it's not in our Bibles, but the tradition developed. Pentecost also became the day when they thanked God for the giving of the law. Why? Well, in Exodus 19, it says on the third new moon after coming out of Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai, and then God gives them the law. The third new moon, if you do the math, 50 days after Passover would land you in the third month. Pentecost, they then celebrated and reasoned, is right around the time we would have been at Mount Sinai after we left Egypt. So they thanked God for giving them the law and recommitted themselves every year to living out the law. They also, by the way, read, as part of their liturgy of that festival, they read the book of Ruth every year during this feast. Isn't that cool, Ruth? Why Ruth? Ruth was a harvest story. 
And Ruth benefited, by the way, from that verse we read about leaving the stray wheat. Ruth was a beneficiary of that, and she was also a stranger in the land. Anyway, it's pretty cool. So, uh, so the giving of the law is celebrated. But what happened when the law was given, Moses didn't come back down the mountain, and Aaron makes a golden calf for the people. You remember what happens? Moses comes down and 3,000 people die. Is there an accident here that 3,000 people get life on the day when 3,000 people died? This is Holy Spirit triumphs over written laws. God is giving life. He's restoring. And that's what we need in our lives. If you feel you've been beat up and killed and kind of boxed in by religiosity, you need a little Pentecost in your life. You need a little filling of the Holy Spirit to say, yeah, you, the, the, the dead may be slain in the past, but you need resuscitation. You need fresh life in your being tonight. The fifth festival. So the first four occurred in the spring. Now we have a big break, a four-month break. The summer, nothing happens. The fifth festival comes in the autumn now, before we get into it, this break is significant because Pentecost is where we are. This is our period. Christ has come and died and he's raised, he's been risen, and now he's given us his Holy Spirit and we're in the summer season. We're trying to give the Spirit to more people. We're trying to give life to more people. This was Jesus' first coming. His second coming is going to be pictured in these next three festivals. So, verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Uh, you guys know this today as Rosh Hashanah. Um, this is the Jewish New Year. Now, I know this is confusing. How is this the new year if Passover is the first month of the year? You're like, what? Well, the best way I can explain this is they have a religious calendar and then they have a harvest calendar. I know. Autumn becomes the first day of the harvest calendar. So they really celebrate New Year's on the seventh month, which is kind of silly, but that's how they do it. And they do it with the blast of the trumpets. Now, a couple things happen. Um, when the trumpets are blown, it means New Year which also means launch the 10 days of awe. The 10 days of awe were days of reflection, fasting, and praying. Reflecting on the year that was and the year to come and how have we sinned and how can we make right. And fasting to get themselves under control, if you will, to put themselves back under God. Because what happens on the 10th day? Verse 26, your sixth festival. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Footnote would say, see chapter 16 of this book for more. <laughs> We've seen that high and holy day when God and Israel become at one. So these 10 days of are in preparation for that day. So, the Feast of Trumpets. The trumpets are blown on the first of the seventh month. What do we see about this? 
Well, this is now, you can go to 1 Corinthians and forever leave it be, at least tonight. So go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I tell you this, brothers, Paul's saying, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's a euphemism for death. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So when that trumpet blows... That is, that's, that's, this, that's this festival. And what's going to happen for us is those who follow Jesus will then experience the resurrection he did ahead of us. This is, in other words, when Jesus returns and we have a resurrection, a coming back to life, which is awesome if you follow Jesus. Because then the next festival, the sixth one, is the Day of Atonement. We already know what happens on the Day of Atonement, right? We have all of the animals that are killed and so that the temple can be cleansed, the tabernacle can be cleansed. But then we have that one goat where Aaron confesses all the sins of the people on that goat. It's called the scapegoat. And they send the goat out into the wilderness never to return. Bye-bye. The sin goes out of Israel through the goat, and they are cleansed. Aaron comes back out of the tabernacle and says, we are forgiven, and everyone celebrates. The Day of Atonement goes from awe and reverence to celebration, right? Brothers, sisters, when Jesus returns and raises the dead, some will celebrate in a world cleansed and forgiven. Others will be come the scapegoats, those who are ushered out of the kingdom he brings because they didn't want change. In Matthew 25, well-known story, teaching of Jesus, in Matthew 25, verse 31, it's the, well, I I guess it is a parable, isn't it? It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And Jesus talks about how when the Son of Man comes in his glory and establishes his kingdom, he will say to the goats, depart from me. The Day of Atonement had a goat leave. And when Jesus comes back, the goats who do not want this king will also leave. So we have his return. We have the sense of judgment or purification cannot have a world that's made right if you keep the wrong in it. And then seventh and final festival, verse 33. This is the third one you can star because this is the third one they travel to Jerusalem on. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, on the 15th day of this month, of the seventh month. So day one, trumpets are blown. Day 10, the Day of Atonement. Day 15, they travel, or they obviously would already be there for the Day of Atonement. So they're there for this festival called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Um, 
and it lasts for seven days. Verse 35, on the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do no ordinary work. Uh, Go down to verse 39. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, so it's another harvest, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day, we've read that, there will be rest. And then in verse 41, you shall celebrate it as the feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths or tabernacles or tents for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. booths. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. So the seventh and final feast is a good old camp out. God says, everyone, my place, we're camping around the temple and the tabernacle. And so Israel would for seven days, they'd camp and remember that we were once wanderers through the wilderness, but God led us home. God led us home home. And so we go in these tents and we live with God, home. And so in Revelation chapter 21 verse 3, you read this really great climax and finish to the scriptures. In Revelation 21 verse 3, John sees the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to the new earth. And then he hears this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So men and humans and God will live together in this new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. It will be like the Feast of Booths in which they are all living together and celebrating the new world. More interesting is that when it says that he will live with them, he will dwell with them, the Greek is really, he will tabernacle with them. He will do the feast of booths with his humans. And so they will all live together. And so we see the seventh feast is a looking forward to that grand and final day when God finally heals all things and lives with us. That is the seven festivals. And that's how we see the story. Passover, Jesus dies And then there's a feast of unleavened bread because he cleanses us. The third feast of first weeks, Jesus rises from the dead. We too will one day fall in that resurrection. The fourth festival, the weeks, the Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit comes down and fills us. The summer break in which we are trying to share Christ with more people. The sixth No, fifth festival of trumpets is when Christ returns with the sound of the trumpet and we are changed and resurrected. The sixth festival, the day of atonement, in which we recognize because Jesus has paid for our sins, those who will not receive his gift will be like the goats ushered outside of the camp. And the seventh and final festival, because that's all happened, now we can live in harmony with God on the new heaven and new earth forever. Wow, this is all right here in Leviticus. And it seems so accidental that the New Testament follows these festivals. No, it doesn't seem accidental. Well, I would love to, I mean, well, I think I've I've lingered long enough here. We uh, We can go on now to chapter 25, if you will. Um... 
Chapter 25 is a long chapter which says very simply this. Every seventh day you rest. It's my Sabbath. Every seventh year you don't harvest your land. You do nothing to your land. You let the earth rest. It's my land. Every seven sets of seven years you celebrate a grand... In other words, every 50 years, you celebrate the grand feast of feasts. Sabbath of Sabbaths. It's called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is... You don't own the land. I do, God says. You don't own people. I do. So, people who have gotten into debt and had to sell their land off get their land back on this day. People who have sold themselves into slavery because they couldn't make ends meet get to be set free on this day and return to their original home. God has this plan in which every 50 years, the land and people, their status and their homes reset. Now, that could be a bummer change for some people, and it could be a good change for some people. But every 50 years, God hits the big reset button. Just to remind them, nobody owns the land. It does not belong to the most wealthy and the most powerful, and you do not own each other. There are simply means here to get out of debt. Uh, You're not in debt forever. When I hit reset, everybody's debts are released, and you can return back to normal. Okay. Anybody seeing the picture here? We are children of God birthed in Eden, but we are in debt to this great God because of our mistakes. Yet he, in Jesus, has hit the reset button and says, everybody is coming home. If you read carefully or go listen to when we taught Revelation 21, it's intentionally described like the Garden of Eden, only a city garden, a better garden. Why? Because the message of the Bible is we were once here with God. We lost the land because of our mistakes. Yet God resets us and lets us come back to his land. Or you were once free, but you became a slave to this or that. And yet Jesus hits reset and we are now free again. Pretty cool. You can read that if you want more of the details, but that's in a nutshell what it says. I now want to take us, now that we've seen in chapter 23, these seven festivals are are, are basically like seven steps of God's plan of history. Uh, Chapter 25 is the year of Jubilee in which we see God's reset plan. Everybody gets to come home, which we see is the seventh festival too. Everybody's coming home. Um, What about chapter 24? What's sandwiched between these festivals, these celebrations? Sandwiched between is this, chapter 24, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. What's he talking about? So when you went into the tabernacle, right, there's the outer courtyard, which is outside, where everybody could go to offer their animal. 
Then inside this courtyard is a tent where only priests go in. Inside this tent, there was a room at the very end where God himself lived. Only God can go in there and the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Just in front of that room where the priest can go inside his tent are three objects. There's this little golden altar where you burn incense, but on the left of it is a lampstand with seven lights on it. That's what he's talking about. Let the lampstand burn continually forever. Now on the right side is a table made of pure gold, of course, with 12 loaves of bread put on it. We're going to read about that now. Verse 5. You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Verse 8. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It shall come from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. So what you have is a picture of you're walking in the tabernacle and on, on the right end of the tabernacle you have the bread and on the left end you have this lampstand and it's shining on that which is before it. So the lamps are to be directed toward the bread on the table. So you have this picture as you walk in of the people of Israel sitting in the direct gaze and light of the seven lamps. The seven festivals, maybe, this may be part of it, um, but that as they are celebrating these seven festivals, the God who orders them, his light is shining on them. And the bread is changed out to be fresh every Sabbath, every seventh day, because this is a picture of what the Sabbath is. This is a picture of what celebrating God's festivals is. It's us sitting in his light. Now, it gets really cool from here because the word for lights, you notice that there in your Bible, it says um, in verse 2, bring the beaten olives, the oil, that a light may be kept burning regularly. The word light there is the very same word, ma'od, ma'od, the very same word used in Genesis 1.14 when it says God made great lights to be in the heavens. And these lights were for... The keeping of time and the seasons. The same time and seasons, which is telling us when the Sabbath is. The lights in the heavens tell us when the seventh day is. And it also tells us when we're on which festival, right? So that light is that light here in the tabernacle. The same word is used. Um, which is really cool. Because the very light that ordains change in seasons in life we need to recognize is the very light that is continually and unendingly and unchangingly shining on us. It's the same light. 
So while we worry about change or we wonder if this is good or things happen and we're not sure how to respond, we need to realize that the light that brings change in the seasons and the calendar and in time is the same light that's in the tabernacle as a picture of God's love shining down upon his people. And the most powerful word in this, it happened four times. You may have noticed it. It says in the English Standard Version, you shall do this regularly. It shall happen regularly, regularly, regularly. Um, the New King James nails it. Most of them nail it too. Not that this is bad. I just think it's better the translation that says continually. Continually. Because it can also be translated as always or perpetually or as a continuum. What is he saying? In the middle of all of these celebrations, God wants a picture of what he's doing. He is unendingly, unceasingly continually shining his steadfast light on us. And so it may be dark change. It may be sad change. It might be good change. But in the midst of all the change of life is the continually shining light. And he commanded that it happens from generation to generation. It won't change. So in the midst of a life that has changes, we have a God who never changes. And even, ironically, a God who's shining the same light that brings change in life, that same light is bringing steadfast unchange between us and him. So what do we do? We party like priests. (laughs) Right? Because obviously that's the connection. Um, the world goes through changes. All of us do. But people who don't have Christ and don't see his plan and why he has seasons and changes and that he's bringing everything to a grand climax where the great jubilee happens and everybody gets to return home and be free from their debts, the world who doesn't see that does not think about tomorrow always in the best terms. Change can be threatening because we don't know who's behind the change or what it's going to lead us to. We have a different presidency and we're not sure if the world's going to be okay. We have this thing happening in this part of the country. We're not sure if we're going to be okay. Oh no, everyone's attitude Christianity is getting negative. We're not sure if we're going to be okay. Everything happens in life and, and people who don't have something to look forward to party like animals. There's a very well-known party song, which should probably mean you guys don't know it. (laughs) But it it is well-known, and the lyrics in it talk about, well, having a really crazy time in a night, and it says... um, I want to live like tomorrow doesn't exist. So humans carry their debts. They carry their homelessness. They carry their um, burdens and sin and hurt. And it weighs us down. And we live stuck in that pain. And we don't want to deal with tomorrow. Because tomorrow could be worse. And the only change we're seeing is not always for the best. And, and we don't like feeling out of control. Change means you're not in control. But what God is showing us as he continually shines upon us is, yeah, but my change is leading somewhere. 
From season to season, the festivals are moving toward us gathering around his throne in Jerusalem. Or toward the year of Jubilee in which everybody's coming home and everyone is forgiven their debts. We don't have to live and party like tomorrow doesn't exist because we know tomorrow exists in such a real way that we can look forward to tomorrow. That's what this beautiful calendar and the festivals of Israel remind us is we know who's behind the change or at least I mean, it may have been you who made changes. You made a bonehead move. I don't know. But at the least, despite the changing seasons all around, one thing was happening continually. The light never stopped shining on the people of God. So, we talk about party like a priest. I mean, brothers and sisters, don't let change get you down. We can look at change and say, okay, it's another festival. Festivals, by the way, we, I think we often think of, as Christians, sometimes we're not the most fun people. Um, we sometimes think of a good time as a conference in which we sit down and have two months worth of church packed into one day. <laughs> uh, listening to people talk and teach the Bible, which I'm not at all, I'm making fun of it because it's kind of silly, but it's, it's a good thing. And we all love, most of us love it. But like we think that's a good time. Come on with us. And Worldlings are like, uh, yeah, Super Bowl. <laughs> and, and and sometimes we hear people saying things like, you know, we're really worried about the change and we're really nervous. And and Christians are giving off this negative vibe to the world. And I, I often wonder, have are we sitting in the light then? Do we see that this is happening continually from generation to generation as a perpetual do? Or are we? in the darkness saying, ah, more change. And oh my goodness, who knows what's happening to the world. And we don't know. We don't know what the change is going to look like. You don't have to like what the change is. We just have to learn to accept that change itself will happen. And there's this word I read over and, um, we read it several times and it's a weird word. I had to look it up, believe it or not. Uh, holy convocations. I said it over and over. This shall be a holy convocation. What? I, 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 maybe you're smarter than me, but I was like, what is a convocation? And come on. I thought this was supposed to be a translation that made some things a little more accessible. Convocation is the best you could come up with. It means an assembly. That works, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, it's a holy assembly. It means everybody comes together. But here's what's cool. is because behind the word in the Hebrew, go look it up. It means also a holy rehearsal holy rehearsal. So as they go through these festivals, they're actually rehearsing. Yeah, they think they're just rehearsing what we do every year. But God's like, you're rehearsing what my son's coming to do. And, 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 we need to realize that as change comes, it's a rehearsal of the great change that will come one day when God returns and changes everything. Our little changes in life, our rehearsals, get used to them. Because here's the problem. If we run from change over and over and over and do all we can to protect and bubble wrap ourselves against change, how are you going to handle the biggest change of your life when Jesus comes back? I can just see it now. Whoa, 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 Jesus. We liked Las Vegas where it was. Don't move that. Oh, the, it's so pretty. The Bellagio. What are you doing to it? Or whatever else it is. I, I 
liked that church. Why couldn't we keep it? Or I don't know what he's going to do, but like, it's like when somebody comes over and you say, make yourself at home, they take you literally. And they start rearranging your furniture and putting their shoes on your sofa, which you thought you made clear the shoes go out the front of the door, but whatever. Um, some of us are so averse to change that I don't even know if we're going to have a good time letting Jesus change things. We are so set in what's right and what we believe and what needs to happen and the way we see the world that I think Jesus is going to shock you. And you're going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you're it, careful. Because if we live in a way that we cannot let change happen, we might even say, Jesus, don't do that. Well, who's the king of this kingdom? Remember who it is that gets to leave because they don't want it. The goats. So when change happens, see the seasons of life as rehearsals of the greatest change to come. And whether your change is for good or bad, understand that it's a rehearsal for you to grow one step up closer to God, whether for good or bad. Brothers and sisters, tomorrow exists and tomorrow's real. I'm asking us to party through life seasons, but not like someone who says tomorrow doesn't matter, I'm scared of it but partying like the priests who lead Israel in these celebrations. Oh yeah, I was saying how Christians sometimes don't know how to have a good time. Um, The Jews did. They danced at their festivals. They danced wildly. They sang merrily. They packed in the temple courtyards and had their barbecues and their sacrifices. And it was festive. It was fun. People looked forward to going to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths or, or Passover, wherever it was. This was part of their life, and Israel knew how to celebrate. Brothers and sisters, let your change be an opportunity to be a guest at God's party. We try too much to throw our own party, so we say, well, things need to be like this, and they need to be like that, and they have everything in order just as I want it. But what change says is that you're not in charge. And then we don't like it because we want to be the host. We're not comfortable being guests at someone else's party. And God is inviting us through every season of change to be appreciative of the true host of the best party of the universe. But we're not, thank you. But we're not comfortable. We're not always comfortable being guests. That's why every festival said, you shall do no work. (laughs) This is not an ordinary day. Stop your ordinary work. But we're like, oh, no, no, this change is not good. I got to work this out somehow. But but, but he's saying, no, no, no. There's times when the, the change in the season is inviting us to see the universe differently. And to stop worrying and trying to hold on tighter to things. But to say, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be a wild ride. And have fun on that roller coaster. By the way, roller coasters might go up and down, left and right, and jerk you all around and scare you and excite you and all that. But you know they always end where they start? You're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Just ride it. And, it. and don't be that guy in the picture who's throwing up. Be the guy who's like, yeah. <laughs> Your hair swept back and all. Um, anyways, I'm excited to see what God does with us because change is going to happen. Don't think like, oh, great, Pastor Ben, you just cursed my life. Now change is going to happen. No, you're just going to be more aware of it. It's all that's happening. So be more aware of it and be aware of your response to it. The light shall shine on the bread continually, and so does he on us 
continually. So go party like a priest this week. <laughs>